This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Crucible, the JRTC Experience. And today, uh, we at least have two really good captains, and then we've got one from the Op 4 here. Uh, no, in all seriousness, we're, we're blessed. we got uh, some, some great officers with us today. If you'd introduce yourselves, please. Hi, my name is Captain Nicholas Warbow. I currently serve as the 03 Alpha for Task Force 4 here at JRTC Ops Group. I'm Evan Malcolm. I'm the currently the Pathfinder Company Commander here at Geronimo. Captain Richard Snyder and currently Papa 50, the Live Fire FSO. Okay, awesome. So tell me, like, before you were here, before you were a fully formed OCT, tell me, but where'd you commission from? Where'd you do your time as a lieutenant, as a company commander, troop commander? So, sir, I commissioned out of Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, into armor. That was my preferred branch of choice. Um, branch of decision. <laughs> branch of yeah, combat armor decision, sir, yes. Um, from there, I actually, uh, I'm a two-time offender. I'm blessed that I, I actually wore this uniform as a lieutenant. So oh, I, you were in dog troop back I in the day? I was red one. Uh, did 12, 15 rotations as Red One, awesome. driving around in the T-90s here. So uh, did my, my platoon leader and some S-4 time here, sir. Went to Triple C, and then after that, uh, I was privileged to serve up in Alaska at Fort, uh, Fort Wainwright as a, as a striker troop commander okay. up there. And okay. at, at the time, 125 SBCT before I came here. Awesome. Okay. So, sir, I commissioned out of Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. It's a mouthful. Uh, went infantry, went to Ibolic, uh, straight to Ranger School, and then straight to 1st Brigade, 10th Mountain. Uh, Climb of Glory. Absolutely. <laughs> Which battalion are you in? Uh, 132 and 371. Mighty Chosen. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, finished up uh, at Fort Drum, went down to Triple C, finished Triple C up, went to Ibolic, was an instructor for two years, and then stayed at Fort Moore now. For another year, commanded a basic training company for a year uh, at Sand Hill, and then came down to Geronimo and was a Geronimo 3 for a little while, waiting for a company, so I've got a good perspective, and then been in command almost a year. Okay, outstanding. Sir, so I commissioned out of West Point in 2014, and then did my lieutenant time in 4319-173, Triple C, and then was a gunnery instructor for F.A. Bullock, and then went to Deuce Deuce or the base piece of the artillery. Got to shoot all the rounds for AIT and for F.A. Bullock as well. So while everybody else was shuttered during COVID, we shot 17,000 rounds. That's pretty amazing. All right, and that's it's pretty neat. I mean, so we got a former Geronimo here. We got two former uh, Bullock instructors, and then you commanded, uh, you know, basic training company, and then uh, you know, supporting AIT. That's really neat. Um, well, cool. And um, yeah, appreciate you all being here and spending some time with us today. So, um, you know, kind of upfront, what I'd sort of ask you is, you know, you've had the opportunity to spend some time watching company batteries and troops here. You know, what when your counterparts come, and a little bit less for you, you'll get to see it, you've, you've sat in some ARs, but what are some of the myths 
that people bring here, the preconceptions that, that people have uh, coming into the JRTC experience. So um, in the cavalry squadrons, particularly at the troop level, you see EC2, and one of them which is uh, ubiquitous, I would say, across, across all brigades is that uh, the number one thing is that Geronimo cheats. I, can, I do speak from my experience as well that that is not the case. Uh, but they, they have a lot of uh, misconceptions that there's you know, just some silly juvenile stuff going on, which is certainly not, not at all what happens. We do what we can to dispel that. Um, one of the other, one of the other uh, big misconceptions that we see, and we often see this at like the section leader level, and, and it's probably just due to the lack of kind of awareness and ability and exposure to the higher levels and higher echelons of leadership, is really what the training audience is at the JRTC level. Obviously, at every level we're looking to get after training, like training objectives, right? But understanding that from a operations group and JRTC perspective, the key training audience is battalion and brigade staffs. Yeah. And what and what we have a lot right, of people commanders, and yeah. commanders as well, sir. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what we get is, well, you know, why why aren't we why aren't we focusing on like my my section maneuver or why you know why aren't we setting up something more akin to sticks lanes, right? Yeah. Like this seems like it's a better step, but you know, when we see a, a free thinking op four that then inflicts Lisco style casualties, a lot of people just throw up their arms like well, this isn't how it was at my home station. Like, I don't get a chance to fight or, like, you know, maneuver my unit or yeah. respond to things. Sir. No, it's building the defense and engagement area where we want it and then surprise that Geronimo doesn't go there. Mm -hmm. and, and, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what we see. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, and, and, and yeah, that's good. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the band of kind of focus of battalion and brigades. I wouldn't say it's just the staffs or even the commanders. I mean, it's those organizations, right? Yes, the organizational systems and enterprise and processes associated with them. Um, but it doesn't mean we're not training squads, individuals. Oh, uh, it's absolutely. all there. We just, part of it, it's like we gotta recognize that we're being trained, right? That uh, we, you know, we have an opportunity to establish security. You may not have Geronimo come at your OP, you may not, but the, you know, we know from combat, you could put out OPs for months on end and never encounter any enemy. That's not the point, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that's a good one. One of the big things I think is uh, that the OCs have all the answers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me included. Like, Absolutely. Right. But what we ask them to do is hard. So right. even if we tell them these are the PAAs, so this is where you should occupy, we could give them all the answers, if you will, but what they're doing is hard. Right. It's super easy to backseat drive as well. Yeah. But uh, that, you know, having to solve that problem set and actually do the things, go back to the basics, do what doctrine says. The fact that you get hit with red air every night isn't so much that we're telling doctrine or we're not telling Jarmo where you are. It's you're occupied in the middle of a field. And right. It's extremely easy to see you. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that like, that's huge. Like this is just hard. Like every, you know, and the simplest things here are hard, right? And um, you know, and for all of us, like uh, humility about this. I mean, like certainly don't have all the answers. I got a lot of the questions. <laughs> I know the questions to the past, uh, but I don't have the answers uh, to all this. And and I think that um, yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's a really good one is like, um, you know, what we do have, what OCTs do have, um, one, we got experience, right? You know, you, you've all um, done this at the company battery troop level. Um, 
you know, the second is, um, you know, you've got access to other people, right? So you can, you can absolutely phone a friend, right? When you don't know the answer to something uh, doctrinally, you can go look it up on your iPad or you can call somebody and be like, hey, you know, I got this question. I never really kind of thought about this and I got a, you know, a rotational unit that's trying to solve something, right? And then we have a repository of best practices because we've just seen so many reps. Um, but you personally or me personally may not actually have the answer. We may have to go get it and find it. Um, no, I think that's like, I think that's really, you know, huge. I think, you know, it, it ties to this other, like, we, uh, you know, we want units to succeed here. I mean, all of us are invested in wanting units to succeed here. Well, except for maybe, <laughs> maybe this guy. You still do. <laughs> but we'll, yeah, you do. Of course you do. Um, because ultimately that makes you know our army better um, but it's just everything we're it's just really really hard you know uh, you want your kids to learn how to ride a bike but I, I can't promise you're not gonna fall down uh, doing it um, yeah all right and then you got to look a little bit different perspective you know your op for commander here um, you know what when you interact with RTU or your friends are out there hey we're coming down here in a month uh, besides the fact that, you know, why do you cheat? Uh, what, what else do they want to know? Or, or what are some of the myths they come with? So, sort of, to plagiarize a little bit from a former Geronimo Six, uh, we don't have to cheat. I think exactly what you said, sir, is it's really hard to just do the simple things, do the routine things that the Army asks right. us to do, especially in a tactical scenario. And I think the common reaction when we're doing something difficult and a weakness is exposed is maybe not to really look internally and reflect. Yeah, be just introspective. To, yes, sir. So, yeah, because I mean, there's two enemies here. Right. The first is the, your own unit, <laughs> and then the second is Geronimo, right? Yes, sir. Um, you know, I was talking about this, um, you know, we got 310 getting ready to come through, and I mean, one of the hardest things I've ever done in the Army is just move the brigade 20 kilometers. It's just really hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it's a lot of stuff and people, and it's hard to synchronize it. And and it's the that's the first hurdle to overcome is our own unit in a lot of ways. No, I think that's that's good observations. So, you know, in this vein of it, what we're doing here is hard. Now it's doable, right? Because people do it, and in particular, Geronimo, you know, does it. And part of I think the mythology of of like Geronimo cheats is. The difference between Geronimo and, and other units is Geronimo gets to actually do this 10 times a year. Oh, absolutely. And they get a lot of sets and reps at it. Um, and so they, you know, you guys make mistakes, but you seldom make the same mistake twice. Um, but with combined arms maneuver, you know, what what have you seen um, where, where units maybe are struggling or where do, you, where do you see units finding success at doing combined arms maneuver at the company battery troop and then uh, and then the battalion level. So I think, it, at least on the FA side, yeah, uh, it's taking pride in the fact that violence of action on any objective starts with the FA, or should start with the FA. Yeah. Uh, and that goes in terms of the way we plan for fires, but then even at the battery level, how are we doing our camouflage, dispersion, digging in, pulling security? What are we doing the basics to, in order to ensure the success of the brigade? Because right. those aren't 
necessarily the battery commander's guns or the FA battalion commander's guns. Those are the brigade commander's guns. And yeah. Are we keeping them in the fight? And I would, in our new construct, I would argue they're probably the divisions. <laughs> yeah. Right? You yes, know, sir. Uh, task organized to a, a BCT from the party. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and that, like, linkage there of, like, you know, a soldier um, dig in a fighting position, supervised by a non-commissioned officer, weapon placed by an officer, right, critical weapon system to protect triple sevens is about ultimately ensuring that we get, we win in the close fight and we do it at a, a cost that's, you know, acceptable and sustainable. Uh, and that's really, it does, it adds up to all that. And so it seems like, well, why do I got to do this fighting position? Because like, if you don't, we're not gonna have 155s, you know, affecting the enemy at the decisive point. Uh, I think that's, um, yeah, spot on. Sir, so it's kind of trite, but uh, synchronization, right, at the company level and understanding your role in that synchronization and how synchronization is also tied to time. So really what I see time and time again happen is that um, a plan is issued and at least the troop commander understands, right, like holistically that uh, I'm going to have, you know, this many targets of FA in support. Um, I should have, you know, age 64s are going to come on, on station at this time and they're directly task org to the squad and the squadron commanders push them down to me, at least according to the op board. Yeah, hopefully we, not. But, but. <laughs> it, it, it is something that occasionally happens. But with that, right, so we then end up getting out there, right? The troop commander will issue an op order uh, at some point during the TLP process, hopefully adhering to the one-thirds, two-thirds rule. And then when we initially make contact with Geronimo, right, you have that guy that's at the pointy end of the stick, right? Like that staff sergeant, that sergeant that's leading leading this team or his section who has a general understanding of the plan, but then gets upset and frustrated that, hey, well, the commander promised me fires, or I was told squadron had AH-64s. Um, but they're not here, so I guess we're just gonna maneuver with direct fires, because all I have here when I'm getting shot at with Geronimo is you know, my 50 cal in my truck and like my three dismounts. So then what ends up happening is, is that because of that lack of understanding and, and I would argue ability to synchronize things correctly and efficiently in time and space, you end up not getting the progress that you're looking at, sir. Yeah, and um, well, let's flip this. I mean, you guys get a lot of sets and reps at synchronizing, so how, how are you able, what have you learned about uh, synchronizing combiners maneuver as a company commander? So again, sir, incredibly hard thing to do. And at scale and echelon, I'm assuming, I'm not a commander at high levels, but I'm assuming it's even more challenging uh, when you start thinking about sustainment and protection of all key assets, it gets harder and harder. But at company and platoon level, kind of what we've seen is, like he was talking about, there's sometimes a disconnect between the company and battalion in terms of processing time for fires. Yeah. I know that is an issue that I've sat down with a lot of company commanders on the ground and just ask, like, hey, you know, what was your plan here? Where were you going? What were you trying to achieve? And, you know, like, hey, our trigger was indirect fires. We were going to lead with HE. We are going to clear with dismounts. The HE didn't come. We led with dismounts anyways into... Yeah. Never a good choice. Right. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. And, you know, that in the... The, on the fire side, you know, I think from from talking to some folks, you know, part of it's the processing time, right? Like if we've been averaging eight minutes to process a mission for the last four days, then we should assume it's going to take eight minutes right. tomorrow to process the mission, 
and that that's where the trigger ought to be, not not three minutes. Right. Right. Um, the is that is that fair? Absolutely. We got to take into account when we're doing the science of war. You got to take into account of your own unit's ability, proficiency. Yeah. Whether it's mission processing time or how long it takes to walk through the woods. And if I can, sir, yeah. on that from the troop commander perspective, from those direct fire assets there that are leading at that front, there's there's no understanding, particularly amongst the FA, which is why you so you see troop commanders leaning on their mortars so much, is that they're told, hey, we're going to get this many fires, or, or you have this many targets allocated in support of your troop plan, but. If you know, right before they LD, I've I've asked commanders that before at that level or that echelon, been like, hey, ha, uh, when was the last time you got FA fires in support of a mission for your troop? What's your understanding of how long it's going to take from when from when it goes to you know, or from when it, you call for it to for it actually to be executed? And they don't have an answer at all. They just yeah. know, hey, I just know that I'm going to talk to my FSO, and at some point, the fires are going to come. Happen. Yeah, I mean, it, in. You know, I mean, I was fortunate, like when I was a company commander in Iraq, I had a mortar platoon attached to my company, so I had really responsive <laughs> fires, right? Um, and, and then as a battalion commander here, I didn't get artillery in the fight one single time, and I was really, really frustrated about it. And I had, you know, being honest, I had, a, a frankly, a very immature view of how it worked. I didn't really understand how it worked. It, it took until I was at National Training Centers and OCT to truly kind of understand it. And then like, well, why was I to blame? Because that's back to the introspective. Like it wasn't the fire screen, it was me, you know, changing the maneuver plan at the last minute and then just expecting, you know, we're gonna take this happy little target and move this happy little target <laughs> over here. And somehow that that's gonna give you the time to do the math and the science to get it there. And then, you know, I, I, I think a lot of them, you can do this in a company live fire, platoon live fire, and you can do it voice, and it will happen because the guns are at a preset point, and they've shot the same stuff for the last four or five days, and it's going to happen, right? And we're going to make it happen because the training objective is to make the platoon or the company live fire happen. Um, but here we are in force on force or multi S on live fire brigade, and it won't work on voice um, because we can't process that many missions across the brigade efficiently on voice. Mm -hmm. But then at the company level, we don't even realize that we're not able to communicate digitally. And we haven't checked that our, you know, FOs have the proper equipment to process this mission digitally. And then we're surprised that it's really slow. Somebody's working it, but it's 30 minutes behind what we need. Is that a fair kind of rundown of how this plays out? Yes, sir. I mean, it's the same conversation. How do you take that happy little target that's just a crosshair on a map? Just a happy little target. <laughs> but how do you actually make it a target? Something that right. I can actually engage, right? Well, t t talk us through that. Well, uh, and this is one of the great things about being OC because there's so many different flavors on how to, how to do this. We get to have these conversations all the time. But the enemy showing up directly where you put that thing on the map is highly unlikely unless and you can you can get really lucky you can get certain effects maybe they're the ones that your commander actually wants to achieve but it's understanding that I can call and a target of opportunity with the same method of fire yeah in order but shifting it right so that way I can get the proper effects on where I where the enemy is actually at so I'm fighting the enemy not the plan yeah uh, 
but that's then, way better than just calling it up as a grid mission and starting from scratch. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and understanding that if we do alter that grid, that's still on the target list worksheet because that target list worksheet is the brigade commander's contract and the bill that the field artillery has to pay. Those are the rounds that I'm setting off to the side first so because those are the ones that the brigade commander has told me I have to fire to accomplish the mission. Um, I like, we're positive people. I yeah. get to fire. Get to fire. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, get to fire. And hopefully happy we're, little target. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Except uh, for Geronimo. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, he's happy, right? Always happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think that the that unpacking of the science that goes behind, how do I get that effect? I mean, and even at the... You know, you talked a little bit at the section level. Um, you know, I think we have an unrealistic, I mean, I know I did, right, as a company grade officer, an unrealistic expectation or understanding of, of how long this will all actually take in, mm -hmm. in real combat, right? Like, that, you know, we'll go do, you know, a live fire, a platoon will attack a trench, do a breach, it'll all be over in 30 minutes. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not how it's going to really kind of play out. And, and multi-echelon live fire here is, I think, a little bit different. Uh, it takes longer um, because, like, we're not going to go out into the open with, that, with infantry first unless we've put HE against the problem, unless we have uh, obscuration and it's effective obscuration because we made an adjustment. We've allowed it to billow uh, to get in effect. And so we, we got to have those conversations because it gets to that section sergeant Okay, man, how long are you going to be able to suppress with the weapon systems that you have before you're out of ammo, right? And, and is that suppression actually being effective, i.e. the enemy can't return fire effectively? Um, and I think we got to help educate the force on how we do that, and then we got to practice that way um, maybe a little bit more realistically than, than we sometimes do. Um, so for you, maneuvering here, what have you learned about how to better synchronize at the company level? So the big thing, sir, is with synchronization, I think it's realistic to expect that sometimes you may not get the fires when you want it, where you want it, because maybe Geronimo or the enemy. No, I'm talking about you maneuvering on, on blue. What have oh, you learned? Uh, so a lot of different units fight a lot of different ways, a lot of different SOPs. Um, the thing that really gives us a hard time are the units that do the discipline thing. They're digging in, they're stretching wire. I tell my guys all the, all the time, don't underestimate the power of a single piece of wire, because I've seen it halt battalions in the past. But for us, I think the biggest thing I've learned is the actual impact, an army buzzword, but mission command and commander's intent, but the actual impact of soldiers truly understanding what that means, yeah. being able to execute whole disciplined initiative thing, actually understanding, being able to follow through is incredibly important because just like anyone else, we lose comms. I don't always have a great idea of what the cop looks like. I don't always know exactly where adjacent units are and another myth, but we actually do plan all of our missions. Right. So yeah, we're not giving intel from the OCTs. We actually have to find our own stuff, build our own picture of the enemy on the battlefield. So. I think that's the biggest point, sir, yeah. is just being able to operate independently at times. You know, in, in that independence, though, you know, and this is where the experience and the sets and reps come in, is it's really easy to do mission command. Right. 
when you've got detailed graphics, <laughs> when we've issued an order, when we have SOPs that we follow back to the discipline, when we've rehearsed that plan, and that plan actually has detail, right? And so go out there and just, you know, do some Geronimo stuff. Results generally in Geronimo being dead. Yes, right? yes it does. But, but when Geronimo does all the steps of the troop leadership procedures, you guys are pretty, I don't want to say unbeatable, but you're pretty hard to beat um, because you're able to synchronize suppression, obscuration with collection, um, with maneuver, which is pretty awesome. Um, all right, so let, let's talk about this one. Um, transparency of the battlefield. You know, this idea that like it's just way easier on the modern battlefield to be found. Uh, what, have, what have you observed here in your time? So what we've observed is that, generally speaking, it is definitely easier to be found than uh, what a lot of our older leaders are used to, right, with with the coin environment. Um, and that's in large part due to I, what I take a little bit of offense to that. <laughs> yes. Somebody with yeah. Yeah, experience. Yeah, they're uh, <laughs> venerable leaders. Venerable. Right? Yeah, Patricia means sir. older than dirt. <laughs> right? um, but uh, like in Jaramondo is very good at, at replicating the, the types of EAB assets that, you know, a opposing force or a competitor nation would have. But what you're seeing is that uh, a lot of people aren't really responding to those very effectively. And even if they are, what they're doing is they're applying 10 level tasks um, without any sort of like critical thinking to them. One thing uh, in, that really comes to mind is when we see like very basic and one of the most basic TTPs camouflage, right, for vehicles. Uh, you'll see that a lot of people just won't do it. Uh, because of the fact that, once again, you have platoon sergeants that are hitting their 20-year mark now, or, well, they never needed to have like legitimate and realistic camouflage for their vehicles, so that's what they're reverting back to. But even if they do, they end up with, hey, uh, you know, T1, or like training day one, we're, we're, in, we're near Barry. it's generally hilly or grassy, so we get we cut down like a whole field of grass, and now it looks like, like just a grassy bush moving around, but by T4, we're in the woods, and you still see that tan truck with tan grass driving through the woods. But hey, I accomplished my 10-level task of camouflage yeah. instead of like Check. actually thinking about it. Right. Yeah, um, and y you're right. I mean, there's units that, that haven't drank the Kool-Aid yet, and then there's units that have. And I, and I think back again, you know, if I'm going to say something about a unit specific, I'm going to say good things, right? The 101st Aviation Unit here last fall, you, other than the helicopters, <laughs> you couldn't find their stuff. I mean, it's pretty hard to find, hide an aviation task force. But they were doing exactly that, changing the vegetation, changing the netting, move, you know, moving things around, truly blending it in. I mean, when you see a unit with chainsaws uh, cutting cutting routes to lay, you know, hoses for a FARP, like we're in a pretty awesome spot. So there are people that are struggling with it, but there's people that are kind of yes. getting it. And the people that, that get it, they're surviving. Uh, what about from your perspective? One of the pieces of advice I try to give all the commanders is you got to take a little bit of time once you're, you're doing position improvement to OC your own battery. You got to be able to understand the micro terrain around your unit. And sometimes it takes driving out to the MSR and looking at your unit. Can I be seen from the road? What are my avenues of approach? And actually understanding how the enemy is going to see you. Uh, and then understanding yeah. from the but, air. 
Fun. And then nothing can stop you from putting up your own UAS to look at yourself and see what you look like. Absolutely. Right. I'm sorry. Keep going, man. Yeah. That's brilliant. Is there, it, is the same, it was the same way. The Ravens are great, but sometimes you just got to look at yourself and understand how is it that I'm presenting myself to the enemy. Uh, it helps you choose how you want to fight when you do take a, an attack from our illustrious Geronimo or just how am I going to be, do I have to move? Like this spot is great to shoot artillery, but I need to move once I'm done. Right. Because it's not tenable, I'm going to be found, and I understand again that I got to keep my guns in action for the brigade and for the division. Right on. All right. Feet. Dispersion, camouflage, and CPs. Those are the three big things I've seen. It's only my 11th rotation, but tremendous growth already. So we've seen the tent city MCPs out that are very easy to find. Our electronic warfare group can find those extraordinarily quickly, and we can go straight to them. Because another myth is Geronimo's not seeking out infantry companies, infantry battalions. Right. We are bypassing We're, at all costs Right. to get to hey, the rear area hold and kill on. Say that again. all assets. Say that again. We are bypassing the infantry. You're bypassing the infantry yes, sir. to go kill guns and sustainment. Right. I'm with you. People with square teeth. Sir. Not sharp teeth. No offense to our <laughs> sustainers <laughs> and field artillery. I mean, not that field artillery, but the, yeah, right. Like your high payoff targets. I mean, as the DT, 11th DTG commander, <laughs> you know, right? Sir. Yeah. You know the triple sevens, aviation, sustainment, C2 uh, nodes. Sir. Right. Um, you guys, a couple rotations back, did a 9K night infiltration, we bypassed did, two battalions, did. dismounted the whole time. Yes, sir. Right. Um, and how did you identify the targets that you were going to attack? So it was just from our shadow equivalent. Our outlaw had identified two MCPs, two battalion MCPs. We were able to exploit a seam uh, between the battalions and infiltrate and get into the rear area and destroy both of the MCPs. Right. Not coming in East Gate, not coming in in Hilux pickup trucks, right, sir. but walking in. Believe it or not, the OCs didn't tell us where they were. So no. we had to find them. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know, I'm with you. I mean, I think we've, we're not where we need to be, but we've made a ton of progress at camouflage, dispersion, reducing our electromagnetic signature. The one that's still a little sticky is digging, right? And have you, who, who's, who's had experience seeing units do it well? Uh, or what have you experienced in a unit that maybe has done it well? So a unit that did an outstanding job that was very difficult to fight was 182. Uh, yeah. They had outstanding discipline with the infantry companies that we did face. They had dug in. Uh, I remember we talking about it the other day, my first son and I, about how we, unfortunately for them, we had gone the opposite way that their engagement area was facing. We were able to infiltrate a different route. Uh, so we came in behind. We started fighting some guys. We didn't really know what was going on. And then when we looked around, we realized all of the positions we were standing in them. Uh, and they were all camouflaged. The entire company was dug in. They had obstacles out. They had wire out. They had done an outstanding job digging in. So that was a pretty quick fight because we were right in the middle of it, and we did not survive. Uh, one of the times Geronimo does lose uh, was that time. Yeah. So we lost very quickly to that. But conversely, you see other units that are not doing that. We're just setting up positions behind logs. Was that the, was that the fight on the west side of uh, Geronimo? It was, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. And you guys had gone up there the day before. Yes, we did. And had had 
tuned them up pretty good, and then they had like did a lot of improvement yeah, over the next 24 it. hours. And if I remember, pretty well synchronized uh, direct fire, indirect fire, obstacle uh, with their observation point. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah. The only PAAs that survive are the ones that are dug in. So if they know, only times that I've seen the artillerymen push back an attack is if they've actually dug in, they've pushed out their machine guns, they've actually thought about how they're going to secure that PA and violence of action. Yeah. Everybody else, if they haven't yeah. dug, they, they haven't. They, they don't, don't make last it. long. They don't make it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we can put up camo nets, but if we're putting up camo nets in an open field, it's not really hiding the gun. One of, <laughs> one of the excuses we get each and every time is, oh, we're going to be moving in X number of hours, so I'm yeah. not going to dig. Yeah, you can't move if you're dead. And then they're there for 48 hours. Yeah. Because terrain management is difficult here as well. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the terrain management—that's great. You know, well, let's unpack that a second. I mean, terrain management—you um, know—you can cut down any tree here that doesn't have a white ring around it and is under five inches. And we have—we've seen units do it, like I was telling about the aviation unit. But we also have units that, like, they don't improve the position, right? And we we can shoot from other places other than an LZ. Um, we just got to got to work at it. Yes, um, but if we want to win, if we want to get HE in the close fight, and then we're going to kind of do those things. Um, um, give, you know, what are some ways um, that you've seen, you know, good habits at the company battery troop level, right? What are some things you've seen that you've been like, well, that's, you know, you talked about uh, this company, I think it was Charlie uh, 2501, if I remember. I think that's right. right. Um, you know, good actions at the company level. What are, what are some other good habits that you've seen from, from batteries? If the leadership's engaged, then we're starting to think through things like risk. Because everything should be tied to risk. The reason why I'm putting out C-wire, the reason why I'm digging, it's all tied to risk. And if the leaders are actually engaged and walking the line, then we're seeing those actions actually happen. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with TLPs. If they're actually using that, especially for battery movements. Yeah. Because you're getting a move order from battalion, and that is the battery commander's operation from there on out. You're not getting a full-on op order or fast P. But if they're actually using TLPs, clearing their routes, doing the recon and issuing a plan, then we're seeing that occupation time decrease dramatically from yeah. when they just go in cold. Right. And then I mean, probably some of that starts with like, you know, SO, good SOPs that we actually follow shorten the amount of time that we need to do some of this stuff. Yes, sir. And the ones that really succeed here and get the most out of it, the ones that have their SOP out and are red inking it while they're here. Yeah. Yeah. What about troops? So uh, <clears throat> specifically one that comes to mind, sir, is a C-troop out of 189 CAV that we had back in January. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they, they did a lot of really good stuff. Yeah, sir. that was tasty. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did some really good stuff, sir. And, and they, uh, it is inherently easier for dis our dismounted reconnaissance troop to dig fighting positions, and, and well, for them specifically OP positions, yeah. um, that are mounted elements. Yeah, it's harder to dig in at 1151 <laughs> and, right, and, and with a new tool. <laughs> <laughs> we continue to fight that throughout the throughout all of our CAV units. Like, hey, the, these same rules still apply to the motorized yeah. troops as well. So don't just like hide your truck behind a tree or an IV line. Uh, but specifically with with Charlie troops, sir, um, they they did really good with them in, in placing and in, in camouflaging their OP positions. But one of the things kind of about a good TTP that 
kind of, that fills in with that as well is actually utilizing internal reconnaissance elements like their Raven to not only help them camouflage themselves, kind of like uh, what Rich was saying about you know, flying it over yourself, but also using that to kind of look out and, and help you orient your OPs where they need to be um, is one of, the, one of the better times that we've seen them consistently putting up Rosses and understanding that the lead sensor isn't just the scout, but you have other things yeah. that can help you see farther. Yeah, we absolutely don't want to be making contact first with flesh, mm -hmm. right? And that troop um, did a phenomenal job integrating SIGINT EW teams, yes, small sir. UAS with fires, incredibly lethal. And then there was a, another troop from uh, from 382 that did the same thing. And so, you know, the, the what we're see what I've seen, you know, ops group level is the people that are uh, employing small UAS is the way you're describing. If they can tie that in with ground scouts or ground observer, if they can tie that in even better with some kind of SIGINT EW uh, capability and it's linked to fires, it's devastating. Mm -hmm. It's devastating. And, uh, and Geronimo, you all obviously do that pretty well. We do. So. Um, but I think people are, are taking those TTPs and learning them, and that is, that's the name of the game. Right. If we're making contact first with EW, then with a small UAS, positioned with observers in case weather goes bad, um, but then tied uh, into a pre-planned target that isn't just a happy little target, but it's actually a target that we've gotten digital uh, communications. It's devastating, um, and I think uh, you know both both of those two troops that I mentioned uh, had an outsized impact on the fight. You know, that's like sort of one of the big myths here, right? Is that nobody ever wins, right? And it's not true, right? I mean, you described, you know, Charlie 2501. Um, people come here and win. The challenge is can you aggregate enough company battery troop wins into enough battalion wins to win at the brigade level? And if it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, but it's really hard, uh, for sure. Um, okay. Hey, uh, I'll let you guys uh, have the last question or word. So uh, talking about time and synchronization. Yeah. What are your thoughts about using time as a condition? Well, I think time absolutely is a condition. And I think that, you know, part part of the challenge, and you talked about us old people. <laughs> uh, right? I'll, I'll, I should have V8 in here. Um, is, you know, you know, when I was in Afghanistan as a, as a Brigade feel great, you know. I, I came up with what I called the Bin Laden rule, right? And the Bin Laden rule is like, you know, we're planning some operation, somebody's got a good idea, we're going to do something, and it's like, hey, you know, are we going after Bin Laden tonight? Because if we ain't going after Bin Laden, let's like slow down and you know make sure all the things are kind of in place. Well, I think you could also like flip that, right? And like, well, if we had to go after Bin Laden tonight, like we got to figure out to make sure that all those conditions are in place so we can go do it, right? And the reality in LISCO is like we're at the company battery troop level, at the battalion level, at the brigade level, we're not going to get to say, hey, I'm not really feeling it tonight, <laughs> right? Because somebody else is counting on us to make that time standard, right? And so it may be at the brigade level, we've got to clear terrain so that we can get a PAA forward to shoot artillery for the division to enable attack aviation to do something for the core, right? 
and you know that may work its way all the way down to a company and a troop and it's like well hey I'm you know not quite ready okay man people are counting on us to clear this terrain so that we can get these PAs set to shoot artillery uh, to reduce the ADA threat to enable the H-64s. I mean, that's that's what we're going to be doing. And so I think an appreciation of time has to start with the impact that we're having on other people, right? And that other people are counting on us to do things by a certain time. And it will only get harder when communications are disrupted, right? So we're going to have to be more disciplined to do that. So we got to do the backward planning to understand hey, to be able to cross the line of departure at this time, these are the conditions that must be met. So what are the things I have to do to make sure that those conditions are met? And that means those conditions actually have to be measurable and defined, right? It's not a, it's not a feeling. It's like, okay, hey, everybody's been topped off with water. I've got an FFIR that people have reported that's happened. Hey, the mortar firing point is in position, ready to fire with ammunition, and it's identified its alternate position so that when it shoots, it can bound to the next one without being told, right? It knows it's gonna shoot this mission and then bound. Uh, and so as we work through all those things, um, it, it requires a greater level, I think, of detail and a discipline to make sure those things get done on time so that we can meet time standards so that we're not letting our teammates down. Um, that's kind of how I see it with time. So, sir, what is JRTC, and whether it be the scenario or the design, what are we not replicating that a brigade needs to be concerned about in LISCO? Um, I think we are. I, I, I would think it's by, you know, it's, it's the whole idea of the Rio stat. What do we turn up? What do we turn down? I would tell you, I think the, based on our trying to meet training objectives and, and trying to, to get the most out of it, I think at times we have a tendency to dial down uh, the casualties. And that may seem like staggering to people, but I do. I think, I think we, we sometimes make that problem easier um, for, for all downtrace units in the interest of getting onto other training objectives. And I think that that um, we should be very clear out about it. We do these things for good reasons. You know, I communicate with the, the senior mentor and we make decisions about reconstitution. Um, but, you know, large scale combat has a voracious appetite to destroy material, equipment, consume ammunition um, at rates that, that maybe aren't super sustainable. And not at the brigade level or the division level. I mean, we're, you know, we're just. The reality of there's only one five, so many 155 rounds in the world and you can only make so many of them so fast. You can only make so many precision guided munitions. And, and, and war at scales, appetite for those things is insatiable. Its appetite to consume human life is insatiable. And um, that should give all of us as professionals pause, right? The, 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 the casualty rates in large scale combat have the potential to be really, really high. And, and we have got to do our due diligence from a planning perspective uh, to, to recover our casualties, to treat our casualties, to triage our casualties, evacuate them. Um, one, morally, that's just how, that's how our army is. Like, that's how we just see it, and we owe that. That's our contract with the American people uh, and our soldiers. 
The other part of it is, you know, if we do that really, really well, I think it, give, it, it enhances cohesion, it enhances confidence in the force, uh, and our ability to then get people back in the fight to maintain tempo. And so, you know, we do that, um, but we, we got to keep an eye on, hey, like, it, it's going to be, it's, you know, one casualty is terrible, right? 20 casualties is awful. Right is is truly horrendous, and I think then you know the thing that you never can replicate is the real stress of of watching people you care about get hurt, um, and you know us old people have have seen a lot of this, and um, it's for keeps, right? Whether we're talking uh, combat or whether we're talking uh, injuries and training, it's for keeps, and so this is serious, serious stuff, and it requires. Uh, a lot of attention to detail to do it well and to do it as, as low a cost, human cost, as we possibly can. Sir, so in LISCO, with the tactical maneuver element generally shifting towards the division, what we're obviously seeing is an aggregation of CAV elements uh, into the div CAV concept. So that generally means you're yeah, seeing. Pre decisional right now. Don't want to get in front of the chief of staff of the army. <laughs> Probably yeah. not, sir. Um, but, but yeah, there's a lot of conversation about going to a, a divcaf construct. Fair. So, so with that, sir, if that does materialize, you're obviously going to see a lot of that cap pulled out of the BCTs. Right. So then, for, from your perspective, sir, how do you see a brigade conducting its reconnaissance fight if really all it has is that single, like, dismounted troop that goes with so, it? So um, I lived in that army. We, I, I was in that army, right? I mean, CAV squadrons really came about. The first um, CAV squadrons and brigades were in the striker brigades. Uh, we stood the interim brigade combat team up in 1999 at, at then Fort Lewis, now JBLM. Um, and, um, but prior to that, IBCT, or infantry brigades, because they weren't BCTs, didn't have that. And you'd get a slice periodically from division, right? You'd get... Um, reinforced from division with uh, reconnaissance as you task organized to be a brigade combat team. And um, some of that is, okay, the brigade, the division has to do some of that for you, right? The division will do more, more of that responsibility will fall on the division with, uh, you know, division uh, cavalry squadron. Uh, some of that is, is clearly going to be done uh, by sensors and by UAS. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, nobody loves you like you. And, you know, at the brigade, at the battalion, I would even argue at the company level, you have to commit to conducting reconnaissance and security. And, you know, we've got an MOS that does it, 19 Delta, but I would argue it's really just a mission. Reconnaissance and security is a mission. So Geronimo does it, give infantry companies the task to conduct reconnaissance or security task. Uh, we give them reconnaissance and security guidance, and they do it. Um, and I think you have to allocate combat power to it. You know, one of the things I always find interesting is like, you know, having gotten to watch Geronimo and Black Horse do this a fair bit, um, both of those elements, and, and I would argue the organizations that get to fight the most in our army, will always prioritize reconstituting reconnaissance and security capability. And if it means that they're taking an infantry company and making having an infantry company do uh, zone reconnaissance, then so be it. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's got to be sort of the mindset. Um, you know, I think good infantry companies put out OPs. Good infantry companies conduct reconnaissance and security patrols. 
uh, good infantry battalions obviously use a reconnaissance platoon, but also identify NAIs and collection requirements for companies, and then make those companies actually collect on those things on behalf of the battalion, right? And so, you know, we build a collection plan, and it's not the two, the, that's not the two, right? And, and the collection plan sure as hell shouldn't be fought by the collection manager, right? should be fought by the operations officer at the echelon that we're at, whether it's battalion or brigade, because it's an operation. And so, you know, my kind of take on it is, okay, you know, I, I, I have a Maku, I take an event temp, I overlay those two things, and then from that, that's where I start to identify the named area of interest that I have to collect, you know, have intelligence requirements, priority intelligence requirements. And um, it's requirements, okay, well, yeah, it's a great thing, right? There's w always way more, there's more fire requirements than there are fires. Uh, I've got to prioritize those requirements and then the three task people to answer those those requirements, right? And anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So any, probably NA, any NAI that matters should have two observers on it, right? And in, in a perfect world, I'm observing with a ground or some kind of eyeball, and I'm observing with a sensor, right? So I have redundancy and I can mix and cue. Um, but then that means that you probably have way less NAIs because you're like, okay, I can have 100 NAIs and I can't really look at any of them, or I can focus in and, and make sure that I'm answering the questions I have to answer on these eight to 10 NAIs for the brigade. That makes sense? That makes sense, sir. Okay. All right, hey, gentlemen, greatly appreciate your time. Appreciate what you do for Operations Group and for our Army. And uh, you stay classy. <laughs> and I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot ee forward slash jrtc we'd like to thank our partners at the center for army lessons learned of the combined arms center especially the jrtc call observations detachment be sure to follow them on social media as well follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www dot army dot mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.